0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. I want to look at a, a passage from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he addressed the issue of honesty, of really saying what we mean and meaning what we say and following through in our words so that we become trustworthy people, people marked by integrity and honesty. And from so Matthew five, thirty three to thirty seven, here's what it says. Okay, how are we doing here, guys? I'm uh there we go. Oh, one too many. Uh, That's better. It says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. A woman once asked her husband, Honey, do these jeans make me look fat? To which he responded, No, honey, you make the jeans look fat. As he was recovering consciousness in the ambulance, um, he had a lot of time to ponder how costly it can be to tell the truth. Now, that stupid story is to illustrate that we actually have a pretty complicated relationship with the truth. I think we, most of us, consider ourselves pretty honest people, but there are times when it's very challenging to tell the full truth. And I think the person we lie to the most in our lives is actually looking back at us in the mirror. I am staggered at still this point in my life, almost 50 years old, I'm, I'm just floored by how much and how often I still lie to myself about me and about other things, about other people, the way other people see me or experience me. And so we have a complicated relationship with the truth. And what makes it harder is when other people speak the truth, we don't always listen or receive so that we stay narrowly focused on our version of the story. We also are kind of jaded with respect to whether other people are telling us the truth. And isn't it true that when someone says something to you, at least half the time a voice inside your head says, "Eh, let's, let's wait and see. I'm not so sure I'm ready to believe you just yet. Sometimes we roll our eyes, sometimes we shake our heads because it's not that easy to trust people anymore today. We have a saying in our culture, talk is cheap, because we all recognize that it's really much easier to say something than to follow through and do something that we've said. Uh, I have that habit in my life. I I find myself saying yes to everything Jeannie asks me, because like I shared before, future me is an awesome guy, and today me has a very high view of tomorrow me, and today me makes lots of promises for tomorrow me, believing he's going to be an awesome dude and follow through. Unfortunately, tomorrow me is as bad as today me. Uh, and half the time I say yes to things that I actually didn't really think about and I end up not doing and I make some reason why I couldn't. So in this passage, Jesus is talking about truthfulness and you have to understand he's not just talking about general or private conversation. He starts by talking about the kind of oaths people take in civil ceremonies, in courtroom testimony, in business dealings. So he's talking about the highest level of consequential truth-telling that we have in our culture. And he begins with that in order to help us understand that that kind of solemn truth-telling should reflect just the way that we have a relationship with the truth in every aspect of our lives. In verse 33, Jesus offers us a summary of the Old Testament teaching, God's standard for truth-telling and oaths. And though this is not a quotation of any specific Old Testament verse, he basically sums up the teaching when he says, don't break your oath. In other words, what he's saying is if you make a promise to God or to other people and you invoke God's name in making that promise, it's a very serious thing. And if you do that, you had better keep your word because God does not take it lightly. If you look at the next next verse here, Ecclesiastes 5, verse 4 to 5 The writer of Ecclesiastes a wise man, most likely Solomon, but we're not 100% sure. He said, when you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through. For God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. So the writer of Ecclesiastes adds this other dimension. He says, man, if you make a promise to God... Make sure you follow through because it's not a small thing to swear a thing to God or to swear a thing in God's name. And it's so serious, in fact, it's better that you don't make the promise at all than to make it and end up breaking it. The writer of Ecclesiastes understood what we all instinctively understand, that making a promise is way easier than keeping a promise. And most of us, we do break promises in everyday life on a regular basis. We even break promises we make to ourselves. You want to know a perfect illustration of that? Wait a few months until January rolls around and the person you intend to be come 2018 and see how long you keep your own promises to you. That's just the way we are and we become cynical because we realize for as earnestly as we intend to keep these things, it is incredibly difficult to keep a promise, and when we make a promise invoking God's name, it is really serious, and so there's a tension that wells up in us. And we know because it is so hard to keep our word, when a solemn occasion arises where keeping our word is particularly important, we have these very serious ceremonies where we we kind of add a little extra something to it. You think about weddings or inaugurations, or when you're giving a courtroom testimony, or when somebody's sealing a business deal, And those kinds of occasions, we don't just say, hey, what do you think? Are you going to do it? I don't say to a husband or a bride and groom, listen, you guys going to be okay to each other? Yeah? All right. Let's save a bunch of money and just go live together now. Wouldn't that be awesome for those of you who are frugal? Don't you wish it would work that way? But we have hundreds of friends come out. We spend tens of thousands of dollars, tons of planning, all so that everyone could stand and watch you make that promise in public. Because we understand that on this occasion, we're saying your usual carelessness with the truth is not going to be okay. This is serious, and you got to wake up and realize a promise you're making is huge. That's why we so often in those times invoke God's promise. Think about this. There's only one president in the history of our country who has refused to swear an oath on the Bible in the name of God at his inauguration. Every other president did it. You see the pictures of them put their hand on the Bible, regardless of their politics, because what we're saying is, your word isn't enough. We want you to swear to God's name so that holy vengeance will rain down on you if you break your word. And that's our way of saying, this really matters. Now, I think the people of Israel understood that it's no small thing to make a promise and invoke God's name. But they also knew this. If you want people to take your promises seriously, quite often just saying, seriously, I, I promise, is not enough. Because in their days, just as in ours, people are pretty slow to, tr- to trust or believe other people. I think we've been burned enough times that we're not that foolish, we're not that naive, we don't just say whatever people say they truly mean, they're going to follow through. And so we know that often in order to get people to believe us, we have to add a little extra disclaimer. like Like, like for example... We, I, I think of it as a shortcut, an expedient to get something I want now and worry about the consequences later. And so you might hear a husband say, honey, I swear to God that if you let me go on this golfing trip with my buddies, I'm going to join that hot yoga class at the gym with you. I swear to God. Now, I don't know why we had to, I swear to God, other than she's never going to say yes unless I add that extra little thing. But I have absolutely no intention of joining hot yoga class. And so, I'm gonna have some kind of chiropractor's note that tells me I will do serious damage to my spinal cord if I engage in hot yoga. And I've already filed away, I'm gonna get out of this somehow. And it's this idea that we use it as a convenience now and deal with the consequences later because people will take us more seriously if we swear in God's name, or we, I swear on my mother's grave, or I swear on my kid's salvation, or on my whatever it is, I swear on my very life. We're trying to get people to understand, I'm totally not kidding here. And Jesus looks at that, and and, and I think the people of Jesus' day, the religious leaders, also understood how huge attention is built up. So they created this really convoluted system of loopholes where you can invoke a very divine-sounding promise and still wiggle out of it under a technicality. Let me give you an idea of just how convoluted the system was. They would distinguish between a non binding promise and a binding promise this way. If you swear by Jerusalem, doesn't matter. You could get away with it. If you say, I swear by Jerusalem, I'll pay you back. Psych. But if you swear toward Jerusalem, <laughs> you are bound to that promise forever. If you swear by the temple, no biggie. But if you swear by the temple's gold, you're bound to it. If you swear by the altar of sacrifice at the temple, doesn't matter. But if you swear by the sacrifice on the altar, then it's binding. Do you realize just how ridiculous all this, and it sounds ridiculous to us now, but to them, what they were doing is saying, we recognize both things. We recognize how serious a matter it is to make a promise invoking God's name, and yet how convenient it is to use that as an expedient without ever intending to follow through. And so we find a way to have our cake and eat it too. As long as I say it this way, I can get out scot-free, I am not morally obligated. And Jesus had the same reaction to all of this that we do. He said, you guys are ridiculous. This is not the way that God wants his people to have a relationship with the truth. Our relationship with the truth should not be based on small technicalities, little loopholes, details that other people might have missed, because by the letter of the law, I didn't technically say I would. I said I would try, and I did try. So I don't know what to tell you. It is what it is. See you later. seems like today, even as the language of promises becomes more solemn, people believe our promises less and less. Kind of reminds me of the relationship we have with Washington and all our political leaders. Professor Dan Doriani, who teaches in seminary, and uh, writes some really nice commentaries on various texts of scriptures. He suggests a scenario in which a father says to his daughter, sweetie, if you clean up the yard today, I'm going to take you out for ice cream when you're done. To which the little girl responds, what? Do you promise? Now, pause for a minute and think about why she has to say that. She's a little girl. And yet already at a very young age, she knows, well. And what she's really saying when she, has, when she says, do you promise? Why is that necessary at all? Because daddy's a liar. Because even at a young age of, say, four or five, she's learned, daddy said stuff like that before. And I got all excited. I cleaned my room. I cleaned the yard. And I scream. And daddy was like, oh. Mommy says something like, oh, honey, daddy had to go to the office. Sorry. And little girl goes, people aren't trustworthy. The world is broken. And so at a very young age, we learn that no matter how earnestly people look at our face and say, read my lips, no more taxes, they're still lying. They might truly intend to keep that promise, but they most likely won't. They'll say, I forgot, or something came up, and they will wiggle out of their obligation. And so as a result, this young girl looks at her dad and says, I don't believe you, daddy. Look in my face and say it out loud. Do you promise? Do I have your word? And what that does is indicts the daddy that his everyday casual word is not worth very much, even to one of the the people on this planet he loves and cherishes the most. And so she wants to know, can I get an explicit guarantee that what you promised you will actually deliver on. I think we know that other people are not trustworthy, but I think we can also admit that we have contributed to the cynicism and mistrust of other people around us too. Haven't you ever made a promise that you fully wanted to keep, but in the end you wiggled out with, through some really good excuse? Think about the time when you said, yeah, I'll be at your party, I'd love to come to your barbecue, and then that day rolls around and you're like, oh, three of my best friends kind of backed out all these weird people i don't know are going to be there i'm kind of tired and my back oh my sciatica is bothering me so you call and say listen i know i said i'd be there but and what you say next is going to be just a complete horrific lie but for you it will feel very justified and reasonable And what Jesus is saying is it's these kinds of gymnastics we do to wriggle our way out of the obligation of the words we say that so grieves the heart of God and does not reflect the way he wants us to relate to the truth. When we say a thing, we need to mean what we say. And I don't preach this as somebody who's perfectly kept his word. My family's here, and they know I haven't perfectly kept my word. I know that my kids are jaded and cynical from time to time because we have said things and we haven't followed through. And so Jesus, in light of all of this brokenness in society, offers a very radical solution to the problem. And what he says is, just don't swear at all. I'm sorry, one more. There we go. Don't bother with making promises. Don't swear oaths at all. Live in a way that it just simply isn't necessary. See, the reason promises are needed at all in the first place, if you think about it, is because most of the time we're not serious about what we say, and so a promise is asked for as if to guarantee that this time you're not lying to me. Think about what that says about society and about human nature when we ask anyone for a promise because what we're saying is most of the time you lie, this time please don't be lying. I got to know, can I really believe what you say? And so Jesus says very simply, look, instead of making all these oaths by your beard, by the hair of your head, by whatever else, don't bother, just live in the way that when you say yes, everyone understands that means yes. And when you say no, Everyone understands that means no. Be a straight shooter. Follow through on the things you say. Live in a way that, just like the old John Wayne movies, your word is your bond. When you say a thing, it's as good as done. If you live like that, we won't need all of these written contracts and hand-on-the-Bible oaths and swearing-in ceremonies because what we'll begin to see is when people say a thing that thing will come to pass. And it doesn't begin in the big things like when you become president of the United States and are inaugurated. It begins with the small things. Like when you say to your kids, if you clean the yard, I will take you out for ice cream and you honor that word. At every level, in every corner of our lives, what Jesus says is, Be a person who doesn't say a thing that they don't intend. If what you're really saying is, no, I don't want to go to your party, now spare the person's feelings. Don't say, I don't like you very much. I would prefer not to be in your home. But just say, no, I don't think I'm going to come. Thank you for the invitation. Don't say, yeah, I'll be there, and then plan ahead of time to wiggle out. Tell the truth, Every possibility that you can. There are, now, this is a very complicated thing. Um, I read many, many pages discussing whether it's okay to lie when the Nazis are hunting down Jews or you're hiding in your house and all that. And there's a thousand caveats that if you have time, you want to buy me a drink, we can go out and talk about it till you fall asleep. But as a general rule of life, simply remember this. That God's will for his kingdom people is that we should be the kind of people that when we say a thing, our word is as good as our seal, it will be done. Because when I tell you a thing, I tell you what I truly, fully, so help me God, intend to do. My word is my bond. And I live my life with integrity. So that I don't cut corners, even in small things, casting doubt on whether God's people actually have the right relationship with the truth. Now, that's easier said than done. Jesus says, simply say yes or no. It's simple, but it's not easy because keeping our word proves to be extraordinarily difficult, not least of which because not everybody we make a promise to helps us want to keep that promise to them. Professor Dorian, he goes on to say this, it is still God's will that we do what we say, especially in solemn settings, when others depend on our words. Even if circumstances change, even if we get a better offer, even if faithfulness becomes difficult, even if the temptation to break a vow seems unbearable, even if keeping the vow brings real loss, even if no one but God will know if we break our vow, we should still do what we say. As I was writing this sermon my heart was pierced through and through because I happened to walk out of my home office and I glimpsed the box that was under the futon in our family, or in our living room. And it's a big box that I got from my mom's house. It's, a, it's this Victorian wooden dollhouse made out of balsa wood that you have to use a glue gun to put together. It's a horrific pain in the keister to do. It's one of those projects that would take months and months and I brought it home to say to my daughter Zoe, you and, you and daddy, we're going to do this together next summer. And then I looked at the instruction sheet and I thought about how many hours. I'm like, oh, Lord, this is going to take over our lives. And I kept putting it off. And as I was putting the finishing touches on this message, I walked out and went, oh, man. That'll humble you fast when you're about to preach to others and you realize right there is a reminder to me that it's so easy to promise a thing. But I think what kind of people God wants us to be, no matter how difficult, how inconvenient, even if you said you would take a job, and the next hour a headhunter calls you with twice the pay for half the work in Maui. But you gave that person your word that you would accept their offer. You're left with the conundrum, what kind of person will I be? We always ask, what kind of life do I want to have? But the better question, the more important question is, what kind of person do you choose to be? in light of the ever-present reality that God is with us in every word, every deed that we we do. I was really encouraged by the example of Professor Scott McKnight at North Park University, just down the road here uh, in Chicago. He's telling the story of how for about 10 years, he ran a baseball camp in the summer for boys, and they would charge the parents a certain tuition for this camp, and they would promise a certain number of days and a certain number of hours each day training these boys for baseball. And the person who ran this camp was a guy named Jim Panther. I'm talk about an awesome name. Wouldn't you love to have the name Jim Panther? And this guy had an incredibly high bar for integrity. And so even in the Chicago summers where it was like 105 degrees out and the kids were just miserable he would continue coaching till exactly 3 p.m. because he promised the parents he'd deliver up till 3 p.m. Half the kids would be sitting down in protest and he would still be out there coaching because for him, that was part of the contract. And when one family pulled their kid out and said, look, it's just too hot for my son to be outside. We're going to pull him out two days early. They were shocked when a couple days later they received in the mail a check refunding him for two days' tuition. The person was so shocked they called him up and said, look, that was not necessary. I pulled my kid out electively. You didn't have to. And he said, look, I charge you for the full run of the camp, and I didn't deliver to you. It doesn't matter what the reason is. I cannot take money for more than what I should deliver to you because that was our deal. Now, some people would say this guy is a type A Pharisee. He's a legalist and all that. And I get why you could see it that way. And I think if you carry things too far, it becomes that very quickly. But I really admire someone who fights hard at that level of nuance and detail to say, I want to be the kind of person that everything I say and do is above reproach, full of integrity, that when I say a thing, I truly mean it. And I don't deceive people, even if it's a forgivable deceit. I don't cheat on small things because there's no way they're going to, you know, I can't get caught. They're not even going to care if they know the truth. It's about who you choose to be in Christ. Now, here's the last part I want to say. Is If you decide to live this way, it's going to cost us a great deal. It is not always going to be easy to do. I had an illustration that just popped up today, but I didn't ask my kids' permission to share it, so I won't. But I, just, I, I realized just how often in everyday life, little temptations come up you're like, I'll just tell them this. And you're like, well, yeah, you could, but that's technically a lie. And even if you get away with it, it changes you. So if you intend to live with this high level of integrity, there's going to be a cost. At times, some of the promises you've made will feel impossible to keep because the other parties are doing everything they can to break their end of the promise. And yet God's people... Hold fast. And how do we do that when it gets really hard? We turn our eyes not inward to our inner goodness, but upward to Jesus Christ. And I want you to think for a minute about how much you depend on Jesus being a person who keeps his word. Because you know, in 1984, I went to a retreat to pick up girls. You want to talk about a really bad reason for going to retreat? If any of our kids and youth went, uh, I'm going to go to j because, dang, there are some girls there. Woo-wee! i would be like, you don't get to go to j That's ridiculous. That's why I went to that retreat. And in that, that retreat, for that reason, I went, and yet Jesus saved me. He, he just poured mercy over my life at that retreat. And I was not ready to meet Jesus. I was going to meet some cute little thing. And I ended up meeting Jesus. And he, he just blew me away, and he made a promise in my heart that day that no matter what, his deliverance, his forgiveness was mine, free of condition, except that I trust him. And that no matter what else I would do wrong, how many other ways I would betray him over the course of my life, his promise to me would hold fast no matter what I did. Even when I am unfaithful, he remains faithful. That is the promise and I count on that every single day. It's a small, it's not just a sermon illustration. I had to actually bow my knees and count on his forgiveness and his great steadfast promise again when I saw that that dollhouse box under the the sofa like, Lord, that's just one more indictment of me, and that's a small example. I have done things against God that sorely challenge his ability to love me and to like me, and yet he keeps his promise, no matter what I've done, to damage my side of that equation. I count every day on a God who keeps his word without fail because he's being true to himself, not just to me. And whenever I flag in my commitment to be a person of the truth, of honesty. I don't look inward at my own goodness, but again up to the one who has never once lied to me or failed to hold true to his promise. That's where I get the strength to keep going to say, I don't think I'm good enough to honor my word, but you have been unfailingly true to your promise. Make me more like you. Make me more like you. And our God... Has kept his promise all the way through, hasn't he? I want you to pause just for a minute and think about some of your least glorious moments after you met Christ. Times when you knew that what you were doing was a stake through his heart. There's no way to argue it or paint it differently, it was just such a betrayal of who he's been to you and what he's done in your life and what he's shown to you. And I want you to think about the fact that this moment today, even in light of that betrayal, his love for you and me has not diminished one bit. That the promise that he gave you that he would redeem you, he would forgive you, he would rescue you, is as strong today as it ever has been. And it's because he's been like that to us that Jesus can hold this revolutionary standard of integrity up for us and say, then in light of this, you be those kinds of people. I'm going to invite you just to bow your heads with me just for a moment. I want to encourage you not to be dismissive of this simple message. Because I I think we're living in times where the truth is just being obliterated. And yeah, we could be so angry with our leaders in Washington, D.C. for the way that they just outright lie in campaigning and break every promise once they become our leaders. But don't save all of your indignation for them. Because our lives are are littered with people who long for more from each of us. If you're a parent, I'll tell you right now, your children have had moments where they yearn for more from you. And they had a right to expect more. They're waiting to hear certain things from you. To receive a certain kind of unconditional love and they're still waiting If you're in a relationship, if you're married, I want you to know that as much as you've loved that person, you have been a source of great pain for that other person as well. And these are people to whom we have made promises in our hearts. And I think deep down we want to keep those promises, but when it becomes our way of life, our habit, to cut a corner here, to mince a word there, something in us changes. And Here's the scary thing. If you stop believing yourself and you stop believing others, it's not too long before you stop believing even what God says is true. You just assume everyone lies. But Jesus gives us a better way. Begin with the smallest place you can and say, I want to become a man or woman of integrity. And I want to live in a way that when I say a thing, my yes means yes. My no means no. And as I live this way, God help me when I'm flagging, when I'm getting weak. Because if I do this, I will show the people around me a glimpse of this strange new kingdom where you rule as king. I'll show them a glimpse of a different way of being human. And they will be inspired and encouraged. I don't know what your relationship is like with the truth, but I want to invite you just for a minute before we take communion to reflect on how honest a person are you deep down. And my aim is not to beat you up or make you feel guilty. It is to just have you sit safely in front of your Savior and invite him to check your heart. And if you feel you need to repent or make a commitment, I want to encourage you in the quiet of this moment to do that in your own heart between you and him. Just take a moment and let's do that. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.